Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Quickly before we jump in, Brad, SB Nation and Roll Bama Roll announced some changes to the podcast going forward. Essentially, we'll be heading an effort to build a podcast team. Yeah, we're really excited. It's been going on behind the scenes for the last couple months. It's been, you know, an idea that has now taken form, and we're very uh, thankful because, I mean, hell, when we started off doing this, it was just for fun, and I guess uh, we didn't suck entirely enough for them to kick us to the curb, so they uh, they anointed us, the audio managers, and to help do some expansion. So if you guys are in the transfer portal for podcasts, let us know, and, you know, we're looking for new hosts for new shows. We're going to try to bring, in the next couple weeks, we're going to try to set up a new show with new host to do a weekly recruiting episode throughout the year and then Wes and I will continue to do episodes every week every other week we'll always have you know big name guests like before and stuff it's just a it's amazing Wes uh, I guess my jokes aren't as terrible you know as I thought and I guess we look all right (laughs) yeah look everything's gonna stay the same with us like Brad said you'll still get Brad's bad jokes we'll still make a concerted effort to bring you as good of a guest as we can possibly find for that week but we want Want to bring more content to Roll Bama Roll. So essentially, hey, say if somebody's well connected with the baseball program, we want to have a, a baseball podcast, or if somebody's well connected with the basketball program, and so on, softball, whatever it may be. That way, you can, you as an Alabama fan, can get what you want throughout the week, every single week. And the main thing is we wouldn't be here without you guys. So we really appreciate you hitching the wagon to us throughout this uh, trip so far. Been a little bumpy here and there, but, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's gone well. And uh, the main thing we need from you guys is feedback. Uh, the system that we're going to be using is going to allow it to be easier for you guys to listen, regardless of the platform that we upload or publish every episode to. But we also need you to still subscribe and leave reviews because, especially on Apple Podcasts, the more reviews, the easier it is for us to be found. So we would greatly appreciate that, and we hope you didn't raise your expectations now learning this news uh, because we don't plan on uh, really trying to step the game up. <laughs> All right, moving on. Brad, when will we be put out of our misery when it comes to this basketball team? After Alabama's uh, home loss to Auburn, Joe Lenardi still has Alabama in the tournament as a 12 seed, one of the last four in in a playoff ga- in a, a play-in game. I'm sorry. Uh, I feel like we've been saying this for weeks now, but this means what for the Alabama basketball team that they absolutely cannot lose at Arkansas on Saturday. I feel like I can't remember the movie, but I feel like it, you know, just yelling. They just won't die. Um, <laughs> You know, which is, I guess, good, but at the same time, I guess misery loves our company so much it, it keeps, uh, you know, keeps us around. Is it too early to, you know, go ahead and accept for next year's team, regardless uh, the same thing, and write it off in November or, or what? That's what I wonder. My God, last night that was uh, that was something else. I sent this out. I learned through Mark Godfrey that nothing in sports annoys me more than watching a talented team underachieve. Like I can handle a mediocre or bad talent being mediocre or bad but watching actual talent be mediocre that's a tough pill to swallow and this team reminds me of a mark godfrey team more than any team since then it's so frustrating to watch they're, they're playing so many games against teams that they're more talented than on paper but the results are not reflecting it off the top of my head they've blown three double digit second half leads at home tuesday against auburn they're up 13 which would have put them solidly in the tournament if they win that game Texas A&M, not a great team. They have a double-digit lead on Texas A&M. They come back, hit a buzzer beater. And Georgia State, a mid-major, who they were up 22 on earlier this season. They win those three games. We're not talking about them being on the bubble. 
and it's still crazy to comprehend that Joe Lenardi has us as a 12 seed potentially right now. And then when you look at those three efforts to essentially give the game away, where that would actually put us right now as a shoe in to be a you know a single digit seed. Look, and this is such a tough position to be in for Alabama because they're almost in limbo. And we, we talked about this on the phone. Can they still make the tournament? Yeah, of course. Uh, and I want them to. Are they on the bubble because the bubble is historically weak this season? Yeah. We want them to achieve something they haven't done in almost a decade and a half, and that's making the tournament in back-to-back seasons. We should be ecstatic if they do that, but the fact is, even if they accomplish that, they underachieved throughout the regular season. This team should not be on the bubble. It shouldn't be a question whether or not they make the tournament. And look, yeah, there are positives during during Avery Johnson's tenure. Yeah, you know, it's like a catch-22. You know, it'd be great as far as an achievement to make the tournament in back-to-back years for the first time in, you know, over a decade. But at the same time, when you look at the overall scene of this entire basketball season, it's almost, it takes that away and, and, and still makes you feel bad about, you know, how this team performed. The program is in a better position than it was under Grant. It has undoubtedly improved. He's recruiting well. He sells the program. He promotes it. Unless Avery Johnson leaves on his own, and there are rumors out there that the New Orleans Pelicans may want him in some capacity. But but unless that happens, I don't think the Fire Avery crowd – I don't know if you're a part of that, Brad. But I don't know if the Fire Avery crowd is going to get what they want. His buyout is too high. Here we are again with, thankfully, a different sport, but the fan base kind of split in between, you know, and going after each other with, you know, whether to keep Avery or fire Avery. To me, I, I think, you know, it's hard to really pick a side right now because you don't want to put yourself in a position to make a decision this year to where the next two to three years are worse than what it would have been if you gave him at least one more year, especially with the way he's recruiting, too. Yeah, the earliest I can see him being fired is after next season if they underperform again. And part of me is okay with that because I, do, I like Avery. I want him to succeed at Alabama. I think there would be – I also think there would be some backlash from the national media if he's let go. I think the narrative would be, look, Avery Johnson improved your basketball program, which is a fact, and Alabama fired him. And in part, that would be true. So mm-hmm. uh, unless Greg Byrne has a coach in his back pocket that he's confident in and he thinks will take the job, and I'm not sure how great your options would be, I'm not as sold on Steve Prom as others. Uh, and so unless you can go out and get a guy like, say, Buzz Williams, it may pay off to wait. Yeah, see, that's the whole thing, too, is – you know, it's sort of like a, a Mark Rick Georgia scenario. You you got to basically be assured that you got a guy that you want that's going to take the job. You're not making a rash, a rash decision based on what we would call underperforming slash mediocrity at times, but also to what could, you know, absolutely blow up in your face depending on that next hire. And right now, I don't know if that perfect candidate, so to speak, is out there to be a true improvement within two to three years. And also the other thing is, too, I think some of this pressure is from the success of you know, not only the football team, but overall what the potential we see on the court, but also we got to look at the grand scheme of what this program is. And we're not a Kentucky, you know, we're not a Duke. I I get, we, you know, have the resources to be able to be better than what we are, but I don't know if we can get that last key, which is a good coach to get us to that next step, that next level. And I, I hope that I'm wrong here, but look, Alabama started out 17 and 12 in each of Avery Johnson's seasons here. So it's a safe bet they'll be somewhere around that same record again <laughs> next season, and we will be yeah. having this same conversation again. 
gun to head, I think he deserves another year. Now, th- this is still before the Arkansas game Saturday and the SEC tournament next week, but especially if he makes the tournament again, I, I do think you need to give him one more year with this recruiting class he has coming in as well. Uh, the thing that's shocking, though, is I-, I feel like the biggest problem is the development overall, because it's it's been hit or miss on some players instead of being across the board, you know, in, in terms of development. Uh, look, and some guys have developed some, and some guys haven't. Like you said, Dante Hall has developed, I think, in each of his seasons at Alabama, maybe not as much from last year to this year as we would have hoped, but Dante Hall is still one of the better big men in the league. John Petty is more comfortable with the ball in his hand this year than he was. I mean, he was absolutely atrocious last season handling the basketball. I mean, like one of the worst players in the league with the ball in his hand. He, He is more comfortable getting to the basket this season. Daniel Giddens, I don't think, has really developed like he should have. So, like you said, there is some hit and miss in there. And, I, I mean, you can go down the list here. Yeah. Uh, but well, I, I'm, I'm excited for yeah, the, the potential of Kyra Lewis next year. With the way Avery's using him, it, it's improved compared to when we go back and we look at November and, you know, we first started talking about it then. You know, I, I think he could have a better year as long as Avery doesn't get too crazy with his rotation as well. I'm willing to wait it out. There's still one more regular season game. There's still the conference tournament. You never know. You never know what can happen. They can make a, a, a run here at the, at the end of the year and maybe put themselves in a better position for the tournament. Uh, I'm willing to let it play out and see where they stand after the fact. Yeah, I am too. All right, moving on to football. We wanted to hit on the AAF, the, Amer- the Alliance of American Football. Alabama has a home team, the Birmingham Iron. Brad, are you in or are you out on the, AA- the AAF? <laughs> Look, I'm ironically wearing uh, the debut shirt they gave out uh, in Birmingham for the first game. I am a lifelong Birmingham Iron fan. I just want to go ahead and get that on the record. I will say all the crap I talked about LSU about six, seven years ago has come full circle. We got an amazing defense, a great kicker. And an offense that makes me have to redo my walls from punching holes in it. <laughs> Look, I'm on board with the AAF for, for several reasons, really. Like the regional allocations for each team, I think was a smart move that will pay off for them. Basically, if you haven't watched this league yet, they're putting familiar faces in front of fans in each city. So basically, if you played at Alabama or Auburn, for instance, the, a- the AAF puts you on the Birmingham Irons roster. Uh, I think that's driving interest. When I found out Blake Sims and Trent Richardson were playing for the Iron, I knew I would watch. And I think people throughout the state hear two names like that, and they do the same. Yeah, and, you know, my favorite thing about it is it brought the old ball coach back to football. (laughs) And two weeks ago, he played a game in San Antonio, and they came back down, I think it was 13 or 14 points. They won at the last minute in San Antonio on the field uh, on postgame. They were interviewing him on the field, and they said, you know, it got loud in here. You know, how did your team respond to all that noise throughout the comeback? And he goes, well, it ain't no Rocky Top, but, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's all right. So he's still getting those jabs in, oh, yeah. you know, and, and that's to me, I, I love it. And when you you're right, when you look at these teams, uh, there's so many familiar names, not even just from SEC teams, but other people. And then the other thing, too, is I have never thought I'd see something so bad as what Christian Hackenberg is, because if you can make Zach Mettenberger come in and look like damn Joe Montana, that is really telling, and and that has happened. So, yeah, that's it's been entertaining mainly too to me because of the rules and the gameplay. I mean, it's it's unique, but it's not unique enough to where it's completely separate 
of all the other types of football. Uh, and that's why I think it's going to work in terms of their location and the gameplay. So far, it's been well-received, and it's got some ideas to it that I think should be adapted into college football in the NFL. Yeah, I also like that they're not trying to compete with the NFL, like say the XFL did, or the XFL is going to try to do again, which I think will probably fail again. They're more so viewing themselves as a partner or like a feeder league where guys who are maybe fringe NFL prospects can display their game and maybe get a second chance. Yeah, no, it's cool, you know, and that's why I think it's going to work uh, as a development league, so to speak. And when it comes to the XFL, which is going to start in 2020, I don't see it working this second time because it is so much different. And it's more of a entertainment in terms of the drama, uh, drama and everything like that. This is not too far astray of the football that you tune in to watch. And it's a great game. It's got a little bit of twist that worked so far, and I, I really am excited for the future. You know, I, I think uh, I think it's going to last longer than the last time. You know, they tried to create these new leagues. Yeah, you know, I brought up Blake Sims, Trent Richardson, obviously familiar names. One name that stood out to me when I went down the roster was Dominic Jackson, uh, <laughs> and I I know, and exactly that response right there is is going to maybe prove my point in this. That league is so great for a guy like Dominic Jackson, and no disrespect to him, because I think everyone can appreciate him. He contributed to Alabama. Uh, he was part of a national championship team. But it was apparent that Dominic Jackson was not an NFL guy when he was at Alabama. Uh, I know you remember the first national championship game against Clemson in Arizona. He had, mm-hmm. he had probably the toughest night of anyone on either side of the ball for either team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there were times throughout the night where he looked like he did not belong on the field. And I remember his recruitment. You go back to his recruitment. On the day he signed to play for Alabama, he was a junior college prospect. He was full-on crying, like in tears. He gave this emotional speech in front of his teammates. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it was along the lines of him feeling like he had made it through so many obstacles and like tough moments with his family and in his life to get to that point where he could sign somewhere like Alabama. So for a guy like him, who was really never a legitimate NFL prospect to now sign a three-year, $250,000 contract, that can be life-changing. No, I I agree. I mean, he's a great dude. Uh, The first game I was there against Memphis, we had three former Alabama players on the starting line, including Dominic. But (laughs) they've done some rotation through the first four games, and it's it's not great. But (laughs) it is still nice to see because here we are, not, you know, out there trying to get an opportunity. And these guys actually, you know, have been working their ass off and they are trying, you know, to make the most of it and uh, have some fun too while they can. Question, do you use the AAF as a recruiting tool if you're Nick Saban? And now now think about this. If you're in a living room with mom and dad and you're laying out the future for their son, like don't parents kind of love backup plans? Can't, yeah. Like, can't you say, hey, you, if you end up starting for us and you're a somewhat recognizable name to Alabama fans and, hey, say you try your hand at the NFL and it doesn't work out for some reason, you'll have this option to sign a $250,000 contract and get another chance because we're tied in with this pro franchise. Yeah, exactly. You know, because right now, Coach Saban's biggest thing is, you know, preparing them for after college and after football you know the education side the, the maturation of the players this is just another example he can use because i think a lot of players do not want to you know give up that hope and after this first season of the aaf is done there will 
at some point be a few players from the eight teams total that do get an opportunity this summer to try out for a roster spot for an NFL team. And that's only going to bolster, you know, not only the recruitment pitch, but why the AAF can work for maybe some mid-level guys coming out of college that aren't draft prospects. All right. There are going to be a few guys coming out of Alabama that will not need the AAF to get their chance in the NFL. Quinnen Williams being one of those. Quinnen ran a 4.8740 on his first attempt. His agent advised him to accept the 4.87, let it stand, and don't run your second 40. He told her no. <laughs> he ran the second 40 and clocked a 4.83. Uh, 4.83 was the fastest 40 time at the Combine for a 300-plus pounder in seven years and the fourth fastest since 2003. And his 10-yard split, which is an important number you know, in terms of defensive linemen and D-tackles and everything, it was better than Aaron Donald's. So he, this dude's a freak. We knew it, and we've continued to watch it. And if anything, he really did legitimize the – potential for him to be the overall number one pick outside of Kyler Murray. Uh, did you see where he was asked what he had for breakfast that morning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said four double stuffed Oreos. So well, the the official just, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the official yeah, he, Oreo Twitter account sent it out. Quinnen may legitimately parlay that into an endorsement deal. I mean, yeah, not only is he a freak athlete, he's already a hell of a businessman by doing that. So <laughs> don't don't uh, you jump all over that if you're Oreo though? Like a top five oh, draft sure. pick said publicly, he woke up, he ate Oreos, and then he ran the fastest time for a 300-pounder in nearly a decade. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it is uh, – this dude just can't do no wrong right now. Uh, well, all right, Quinnen Williams and Jonah Williams are sure-shot first-rounders. Uh, Irv Smith, Josh Jacobs are fringe first-rounders from what I can tell on mock drafts. They'll either be in the bottom half of the first round or somewhere in the second round. Well, I, when, I really hope Josh uh, gets a, he, he gets picked by the Eagles because they need a running back, and he is the perfect running back for that system, and they're somewhere around that 23 overall pick, and I think that'd be a perfect match too. Uh, speaking of things that Nick Saban can use on the recruiting trail, Alabama could potentially have the first two running backs taken in the draft. Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris. They could be the first two backs taken off the board, and if that happens, you have to think that will be mentioned to some running back prospects <laughs> prospects during the 2020 cycle uh which by the way is one of the best running back classes in recent memory yeah no i agree i mean the first round won't even be over and then the next day second and third round those those won't be over when the uh, graphics department are already <laughs> printing all things to send out because I, I still think it'll be a good year you know i think we'll have uh two picks in the top 10 we'll probably have three to four overall number one uh first round draft picks so it'll be the same consistency that we've come to expect one person who probably will not hear their name called in the first round now, Mac Wilson. He has probably hurt his draft stock some during the combine. Personally, I think it was always going to fall some by the time the draft came around. Uh, he did not wow during his 40. It sounds like he's getting questions about his social media. Uh, he, had mm. a, he had a major slip-up <laughs> recently mm-hmm. on social media. Uh, let's, really... call it a, let's call it a let's call it a little slip up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to I don't know how to word this without outright saying it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't either. And you know, if you haven't seen it, then uh, you can thank us because well, uh, I don't I don't want to describe the video that he accidentally posted and left up for almost an hour. But that did not help his case uh, during interviews for being such a quote polarizing character on social media for the last few years. Yeah, he uh, Mac Mac let it all show. We'll say that he put yes. he put it all out there. Uh, yeah, 
literally. So, uh, <laughs> did you read the story from the Montgomery advisor regarding his quote godfather who, you know, helped influence uh, influence Mac to go ahead and leave because it was pretty telling. And, you know, I think everyone, for the most part, whether they wanted him gone because of the annoyance of social media, I, I think Mac's got a lot of raw talent that's yet to be developed. And he definitely could have used another year. You look at guys like Jonathan Allen, you know, that came back uh, for his senior year. I think that would have helped Mac. But reading that story, it's an unfortunate thing that happens so often. And he geared him to go ahead and declare. And then you look at his combine numbers and they were nowhere near what a first round draft pick at linebacker should be. Now, also, I don't know if you caught this or not, but he, he kind of threw his teammates under the bus a little during his press conference. Did you see that? I did. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah. I pa- paraphrasing again, but he essentially said, hey, you guys have to realize 10 other players are on the field, and they need to make plays too. And like, look, I'm not an NFL GM, but that sentence would make me do a double take if I was. So another guy from Alabama whose draft stock, unfortunately, is going to take a hit is uh, Deontay Thompson. You know, he looked like a sure uh, lock for a first-round draft pick uh, in the first few months of the season. He did have a very tough decision. I know for a fact that it was 50-50. He ended up going ahead and and declaring. And then he gets in. You know, he has to go ahead and have surgery a couple weeks before the combine. And there was some moments uh, in the final few games of the season that didn't really help him on film. Granted, the overall film for him in his career at Alabama is, is great, but I, I have a feeling Deontay's going to fall, and he's going to be this year's Eddie Jackson, so to speak, with you know somebody's going to get a hell of a damn steal with him. That's exactly what I was just thinking, is that he's going to have this surgery, he's going to fall a little bit, but I know he's, he's trying to do the makeup pro day at Alabama. That That's where I would be licking my chops if I'm a GM. Hey, maybe we can get this guy around a round and a half later than we would have if he was healthy. And we could get potentially a first round talent in, say, the third round or whatever it may be. Uh, and that's a guy that I'm 100% taking a chance on if he's, if he's around pretty much any later than the first. I don't know the decision uh, and what went into it, but you also have Savion Smith. Yeah. Really don't know where he's going to go. I imagine the later rounds. So it's, uh, I don't know. I think some guys, you know, whether they were, it was a mutual decision or they were influenced uh, by people around them. Uh, some guys probably could have came back, but unfortunately it is what it is, and we'll see what happens uh, for them. You know, hopefully they do get a chance, but if not, hey, the Birmingham Iron's going to be calling. <laughs> All right. And it, Mo- Moving on to future draft stars at Alabama. Uh, It's obviously early, Brad, but Alabama currently has the top class in the nation for 2020. 12 commitments, three of those in the top 100, eight in the top 200, two more in the top 300, and another four-star outside of the top 300. Uh, As far as the average star ranking, which matters at this stage because so many different schools have a different number of commitments, uh, Alabama is sixth behind Texas, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU. Uh, So those five have a higher ranking average for their individual commitments. But uh, some of those have, like, say, five and six commitments where Alabama has 12. The 2020 class uh, throughout the summer last year going into the fall really started to uh, get the building blocks together. And, you know, it's going to pick up this summer for sure. And I think this this class is going to have a lot of talent to it overall, especially skill position players. Yeah, look, last week Alabama landed a commitment from four-star wide receiver Treshawn Holden. Uh, Holden's 6'3", 195, according to 24-7 composite rankings. He's ranked as the 264th overall player in the country for the 2020 class. Uh, On the surface, this doesn't seem out of the ordinary for Alabama. They get a fairly highly ranked commitment 
four-star top 300 uh, top 50 in the country at his position it seems normal but what makes this commitment more interesting is where Treshawn Holden is from uh, he, he's out of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore Brad if you've kept up with Alabama's recruiting the last couple cycles you know they've created a bit of a pipeline at St. Francis 2018 cycle they landed a Yabi Anoma he was a top five player in the country the 2019 cycle which is are uh, the incoming freshmen uh, they signed Shane Lee who was a top five inside linebacker in the country and Darian Dalcourt, a top 175 player, offensive lineman who the staff is really, really high on. So now in the 2020 cycle, they landed a really early commitment from Chris Braswell, who's a five-star top 15 player in the nation and one of the top two or three defensive ends in the nation. So a major, major reason for the Alabama presence at not only St. Francis, and we talked about this, but the entire DMV area was Mike Loxley. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a major fear with Loxley taking the Maryland job was that Alabama might lose some footing in that area, not only because Loxley was gone, but because of where he left to. Loxley's going to keep some Maryland area kids at home. It's going to be more difficult now because I do think Loxley's going to build a wall, uh, so to speak. Uh, but the, the main concern, especially with looking forward with losing a, a connection like uh, Coach Locks, is can you still stay active in that area and, you know, get those top blue chip recruits? And right now, it's great. Now, we still got a lot of time before December when he can sign early. And uh, Coach Loxley's probably going to, you know, put more emphasis on him. But <laughs> it is great to see, you know, right now it's not really a, a problem so far. Yeah, it's so early in the cycle. All of this is subject to change. Uh, committed in March of 2019 does not mean committed in February of 2020. So take it as you will, but that's that's sort of Alabama's standing as of right now. For them to snag another commitment from St. Francis after Loxley's departure is a positive sign going forward in the DMV. It should make everyone feel more optimistic about keeping the commitment of Chris Braswell. Charles Huff, Holman Wiggins, they were the lead recruiters for Treshawn Holden. I think the DMV was part of the reason those two were hired. So they deserve credit going head-to-head with Loxley and others in that, that region and convincing another kid from St. Francis to commit to Alabama. Well, yeah, and, you know, that's the other thing, too, with this new staff, uh, largely you know, young and uh, inexperienced overall throughout a career is how they're going to get out the gate recruiting. Are they going to be like that staff last year and coming off that putrid six uh, overall class, they hit the road, you know, had one of the greatest recruiting classes ever. What's this staff going to do now? And right now they're showing no signs of concern. Quickly on the 2019 class, like we said, the incoming freshman class, who are you most looking forward to seeing? Man, look, I think there's going to be plenty of play time for Trey Sanders behind Najee as Najee uh, tries to go and win that Heisman like I've been talking about for two years. Uh, which, by the way, if you have some free money, uh, Najee's 40 to 1 odds to win the Heisman, so 100 bucks wins you $4,000. Uh, do that, and don't bill me if it doesn't happen. So, yeah, Trey Sanders, I think – would be probably the offensive guy I'm excited to see just because his overall skill set. But then at the defensive level, I mean, you look at that front seven, I mean, especially the D-line, there is going to be a great plethora of young talent getting rotated in. And, yeah, I just think that Antonio Alfano hopefully is in a better position and shape overall than uh, Iavi was in his freshman year last year to, you know, get some major playing time going midway through the season because that dude is a freak, as you've talked about before on here. 
Yeah, I would just like to pat myself on the back here for a second because when uh, Antonio Alfano was ranked around 30th in the country, we had our recruiting podcast and we posed the question, who was the most underrated prospect in Alabama's recruiting class? And Mm -hmm. I said Antonio Alfano, which sounded crazy because he was still ranked as a top 30 player in the country. Final rankings in the 24-7 composite, he was ranked fifth in the country and 24-7's rankings, he finished as the number one player in the country. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there because you did say there's a case, you know, you could make a case for him to be the number one overall recruit. That ended up happening. Still was probably underranked. Um, but, yeah, he uh, he's going to be one to watch, you know, coming into spring practice, which is getting ready to fire up. And at A-Day, you know, he's going to be the guy that uh, I can't wait to see uh, start getting rotated in to see how he does against uh, against that young offensive line on the second rotation. All right, before we wrap up, we wanted to hit on the softball team and baseball team. Brad, uh, I think you had a little bit on this. Yeah, so, you know, at least uh, the softball team, their consistency is not 17 and 11 at some point every year. Uh, you know, they have a uh, a trend of you 17 know, and 12, Brad. Off. Oh, excuse me. 17, 17 and 12. 12. I don't want right. to discredit that record. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the softball team this year is having another Alabama softball type year. You know, Coach Patrick Murphy, I mean, that dude is, he's just one of the most consistent coaches in all of sports and collegiate, you know, level. And right now, you know, Alabama has the best record in the SEC as of tonight. They're, you know, 21 and 0. I know they got a game going on that's wrapping up. So the softball team is looking like, you know, they may be uh, maybe headed back to the tournament again. Still a long way to go. But yeah. Hey, how, I mean, how, how lucky were we? You Do you remember when Patrick Murphy took the LSU job? See, it's very hazy. You'll have to bring r- so, rack my brain for me. Off the top of my head, I cannot remember what year it was. It's probably been seven or eight years ago now. Patrick Murphy took the LSU job. Like he was, he left Alabama and he was in Baton Rouge. Like, I, I, if memory serves me correctly, he even had an introductory press conference at LSU, and then a couple of days later, after his press conference, had a change of heart. And I guess called Alabama's athletic director and said, hey, I I would like my job back. Of course, Alabama gave him his job back. He's one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, And he's been he's been in Tuscaloosa ever since. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it paid off pretty well, including a national championship. So yeah, uh, right now the softball team's doing you know softball type things that we expect. The baseball team we mentioned before the potential for success under you know Coach Brad Bohannon and me being named Brad too is so like I've said before it's awesome to see him you know kind of carry the weight uh, that <laughs> I you know kind of don't do. Uh, he's, he's doing, he's doing it for slide. the Brads. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, right now going into tonight's game as well, Alabama's sitting at 11 and two overall on the season. But here's the problem, and here's I think yeah. the tougher thing between softball and baseball. Yeah. You had for the first time ever on the updated uh, college baseball rankings yesterday. You've got 11 SEC teams in the top 25, and when you look at the SEC right now, there's only one team that has less than eight wins through 12 games, and that's Missouri, which, again, Missouri was the biggest mistake we made expanding. Um, But look, (laughs) to be 11-2 and before SEC play, that's great. There's going to be growing pains, but this team right now has shown major strides compared to the last two coaches that we had. Uh, especially the the one before Brad. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think it's going to be an exciting year. Now I'm not saying they're going to make it to Omaha, even though on my Twitter I have been saying they're going to make it to Omaha. Uh, but I think this is going to be one hell of a building year when we look back in a year or two 
And right now, it's it's just incredible to watch. I think, you know, right now you need to make sure you get out there and support the team. Um, A-Day, it will be next month in April. Alabama typically plays Auburn on A-Day weekend. Uh, so if you guys are planning to go to A-Day, looking to get some tickets and supporting the team, we're going to try to have an episode next week uh, in terms of baseball and, and be more baseball-centric. We're going to have a guest on who – runs the uh, Bama right field account on Twitter. He's basically the quote president of Bama right field, which to me is an awesome uh, student section and oh, they're pretty rowdy. Uh, that's what they're known for. So, you know, overall the state of athletics for Alabama this year uh, across the board is, is doing pretty well and it looks, uh, looks pretty bright for the future. All right. This has been the roll Bama roll podcast. Roll Todd.